gonna look it up here in mine. First Kings chapter twenty-two, one eighty-seven in the Pew Bible, or wherever it is in the Bible you brought. So think about with me for a minute some churches that you can think of, notable churches, Chicago area, somewhere else in the United States. What are some things that they have? What are some things they're known for? I made some lists, but you guys, what, what you think of a big church or a, a notable church or a, what you would call successful, if you could use that word? What, just throw out some things. What do you see there? People? Okay, good. That's a good one. A food court, do they? Wow, okay. What else? People in a food court, good preaching. That it? Friendly people? Good music. What else? Pro- who said that? Programs. Yeah, that's right, right? More than you can fit in in a single half sheet of a bulletin. What else? All right. I wrote some things down. Some of them are the same as yours. I put a well-studied and degreed Bible teacher, right? Usually a lot of those big churches, they have guys that have gone on to master's, doctorate, and so forth. Programs for every age, events that are loads of fun, big building, great seating, good coffee, big crowds. Maybe they have a cafe or a food court or a gym or a swimming pool. I'm sure there's a church somewhere that has a swimming pool. I guarantee it. I don't know where it is, but, but there is somewhere. What if, as the church in America, we have everything backwards? What if we have it all wrong? What if how we've been doing church is, is wrong? What if it should be something else? And what if the church is pursuing wrong things and spending money on wrong stuff to the degree that now the church is holding that out to the world and the world's looking at the church and saying, okay, that must be what church is about because that's what the church is doing. They're holding out the food court, (laughs) right? And the great music and the degreed speaker and the stuff and the things and the bell tower that plays music on the hour and chimes. And What if people seeking a church are looking for the wrong thing because the church is holding out the wrong thing? Um, first or Second Kings, if you're going to turn there with me and look at this. This is a, a story about a time where the people of God found out they weren't actually honoring God. And it's an interesting story about how they found it out. If you'll turn with me, we're going to read the first 13 verses. If I stumble on any of the names, you'll forgive me. It says, for three years, Syria and Israel, well, I think I started... In uh, First Kings, <laughs> should be Second Kings. Did I tell you guys First Kings? I lied. Does it say Second Kings up there? Good, good, good job, Jordan. Woo! Second Kings, still on page one eighty-seven in your pew Bible. I was like, that is not the right verse. All right, so it says Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned thirty-one years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And I read all these this morning, and I still have, I still struggle to say some of these, so. 
And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of the king Josiah, the king set Sophon, son of Azaliah, to Meshullam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters, to the builders, and to the masons, and let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone and to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to soften the secretary, this is interesting, he said, I have found the book of the law. In the house of the Lord. That seems surprising, right? And Hilkiah gave the book to Sophon, and he read it. And Sophon the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hands of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Sophon the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Sophon read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Akam, son of Sophon, and Akbor, son of Micaiah, and Sophon the secretary, and Asiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So can you imagine this picture? You have to ask the question, what were they doing in the house of the Lord that they misplaced the book of the law in the house of the Lord and didn't even remember about it or even know where it was? It would be something akin to finding a Bible at church and going, hey, I found the Bible. We should read it and see what it says. And it, so it begs the question, what had they been doing for the years leading up to finding the book of the law? You can go back and read. You can see what they were doing. But can you imagine the, the surprise, I guess, and the shock? And when we look back on it, we scratch our head and go, how could that be? How does this relate to us? How can this even have anything to do with us? But I want to ask you a question today. What if God put a blueprint of what the church should look like in the Bible? What if he put a blueprint and he said, here's a book of the Bible that contains snapshots of the church and what it should look like and what it should do and how it should function. What if he put that in there and then what if we've made a mess of it? Because that's what I think, I think that's exactly what's happened. We've neglected the blueprint that God's given us for the church and we've made a mess of it. What if the church was supposed to be simple? and we made it complicated? What if the church was supposed to be vibrant and dynamic? What if the church was supposed to be all of these things that we read about in Acts, but instead it's what it is now? I don't know if you've looked very closely at the church in America lately, but I believe sometimes the structure of the church in America holds people back instead of releasing them. It keeps a, an eye on you. It keeps sometimes maybe even a thumb on you. 
Did your mom ever do that to you? She kept her thumb on you? That, that's an old phrase. Grab you by the ear when you messed up. Could there be an aha moment for us in Scripture? One where we read and we read it in humbleness. We don't go to the Word with pride, and we don't go to the Word thinking we've got it all figured out. We don't go to the Word thinking, I think we're already doing okay. Because that's what these, these, I'm sure they thought they were doing okay. And then they found the book of the law, and then they read it, and they went, oh no, we've been messing up. What if we had a moment that would cause us to seek the Lord and discover whether He might even be upset with us? possibly even angry at the church in America and how we function and how we're structured and how we live. I think it's a question worth considering because God did give us a book of snapshots. And I know you've probably looked in the back of the bulletin, so it's not going to be a surprise. But that's one of the things the book of Acts is. It's a timeline of the early church. It's snapshots and pictures and teaching and guidance and direction from Paul on how the early church worked and how it functioned and what it looked like. So look in Acts with me. We're going to spend the rest of our time there in Acts chapter 2, page 531 in your pew Bible. And we're going to read and digest a little snapshot of the early church. It says this in chapter 2, verse 42 to the end. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." Who was bored a few minutes ago when we took that little break? We took, we, we stopped, we stopped singing, we did something that was, who, who was like, man, this is awkward. This is weird. I can't wait till this is over. You can be honest. You were like, I don't know, I'm uncomfortable with this. Some of you might, yeah, okay, so at least one person raised their hand. Some of you might have thought, if this is what church tends into every week, I don't want to come anymore. Maybe you thought that. I, I don't know. I'm just, somebody probably thought that today. We have in Acts this guidebook, and it clearly shows how the church functions. And when I compare the church today, not saying this church, I'm just saying the church. When you take American church as a whole, and you place it next to the church of Acts, and you see how they compare, how do you think they line up? What do you guys think? You don't, some of you are shaking your heads. What do, what do you guys, say it out loud. Does it compare? Does it not compare? <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. It doesn't compare. That's how I feel when I read it. In fact, when I look at it, sometimes I become disillusioned with what we're doing because I see this living body in the New Testament church in Acts, and then I look at what we do, and I struggle to see how they compare because what we've done is we've allowed the gathering of the local church to become crowded with things we don't see in Scripture. It's become crowded with traditions, it's become crowded with ways of thinking, ways of doing things, things that have become rote, things that have become mechanical. We all know, and, and 
we've been to church long enough that you know if you ask a certain person, I'm not naming anybody here, but I'm just saying, you know that there are certain people if you ask to pray, you know what they're going to pray. Because you've heard the prayer over and over again. We, and, and all of us are guilty of that. Even I, and I'm not saying I'm any better. But when you pray out loud in front of people a lot, you kind of get into this pattern where you say the same things. You use the same hooks. You use the same little sayings, these, these rote mechanical things that make their way into our prayer. And so the whole process of what we do as a church becomes mechanical. I'm going to kind of take these apart real quick. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this today because I think the teaching from Scripture is clear enough. I just want us to, to look at it and think about it. The first thing it says at the beginning is they devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the, apostle, the apostles' teaching, hearing, studying, and reading, and taking in and digesting the Word of God. We read the Bible together in church. We read it at home and we read it to ourselves and we read it and we study it. But there's more to it than that because when I look at how we do it in church, that's why I wanted some of you to read. I loved Allison read, Dick read. It was great. I think the word of God needs to be spoken in church. I think it needs to be read. I think it needs to be digested. We need to spend time doing it. We need to spend time reading it and studying it. Those of you who are reading along in the New Testament with the whole church, do you, did you read Hebrews 5 this week? Who read? Who got that far? Okay, Hebrews 5. I wrote a little bit in the blog about it this week, but there's a part where he points out that the church has not matured properly, and he's, he's talking to the church of Hebrews. It, I think it applies across uh, time. That in spite of the fact that they should already be teachers, they are in fact immature and still need to be taught. And when I read that, I was like, man, that is, it's true, isn't it? We should be able to, as followers of Christ, if we've been following one year, two years, five years, 10, 20, 30, we should be able to look behind us and a, there should be a trail of people that we're teaching and behind each of them should be a trail of people behind them that they're teaching and behind them a trail and it should just continue and that's multiplication. But what we fall into as an American church, unfortunately, a lot of times is where we sit and we listen to a guy talk. We do it in small groups. We do it in big groups. We do it in huge groups. We do it in churches. We do it at conferences. How much listening is enough listening before we start acting, right? And I like that like you laugh about it. I mean, how much is enough? There's, there's got to be a, a limit at which point we say, okay, now to be spiritually mature, we have to go, we have to do, we have to act, we have to teach. In spite of the fact that we should already be teachers, we still need to be taught. What would it look like? I'm going to ask a couple questions. You're going to have to think these through, write them down, pray about them this week. Because I think God's taken us on a path together. He's taken us on a journey together. And I, th I hope that he's doing this in all of his churches. And as I talk to other pastors and other places, I know that everybody's kind of grappling with this idea right now. So I think it's a movement that God's doing in the church, especially in North America. But I want you to answer this question for yourself and help us to answer it as a church. What would it look like if we devoted ourselves to God's word? If we really, truly devoted ourselves to it, to reading it, to studying it, and to living it. Okay, so write that one down. Let's talk about fellowship. This is the idea of living life together. 
as we strive as a body of Christ to live together, we spend time together, we eat in each other's homes. Do you guys eat in each other's homes? Some of you are saying yes, some of you are no. We should be eating in each other's homes. I'll expect some invitations for this week. I'm just kidding. But seriously, we should be spending time together. We should be living together, eating together. We invite the community of God into our lives. We have this concept where the world's fractured. We have our work world and our home world and our church world and our friend world and our CrossFit. I have a CrossFit world. You have a CrossFit world. Sweet firstborns CrossFit. Ooh, hey. Firstborns. So we have all these little fractured worlds. They need to connect. The fellowship of the, of the body of Christ has to connect to the rest of our world. Fellowship had an unusual outcome. I love it down in verse 45. It says the body was willing to dispose of personal property by selling it in order to give generously to those who had need. One of the hallmarks of a fellowship of believers who are spending time loving each other and being together in a community is that they have an uncommon generosity. Do our small groups exhibit uncommon generosity? Does our large group, does our church exhibit uncommon generosity? What do you guys think? I don't want to answer for you. Do you think the church, our church, exhibits uncommon generosity? Some of you are saying yes. Yeah, why do you think that? What do we do? What are we, how are we generous? I'm just curious what you guys are thinking. What are some generous things we do? Oh, okay, to school. Yeah, we're working on it, aren't we? I think we could do more. I think we could do more. I think we could be uncommonly generous. What would it look like? if we spent less on ourselves and more on the mission of God. Does anybody else look at the budget and go, ugh? Yeah. That's rough. Because we want to do more. We want to be uncommonly generous, but we're tied to a building, we're tied to staff, we're tied to things that we've decided we need to have and we have to have, right? Right? I know this is probably uncomfortable thinking, uncomfortable to talk about, uncomfortable to think about. But I think God's doing something in His church. And I want to be a part of it. I don't want to see churches continue to decline in the United States because they failed to look at the snapshot and live like the church of God should live. Next thing they did was breaking of bread. They shared meals. They had communion together. Um, We started that this Sunday. It sounds to me in Scripture, when you read it, that the early church shared communion together pretty much every time they were together. Whether it was a meal, whether it was some kind of study, whether it was during the teaching, whether it was going to somebody's house, whatever it was, they had communion I think that's another place that I think church in America has struggled to figure out how it fit. You have a lot of different denominations with a lot of different practices surrounding communion. There are churches, they do it like once a year. We do it once a month. There's churches that do it every Sunday. It, it looks to me when you read Acts 
that they did it quite regularly because it says they devoted themselves to the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's something about sharing a meal together. There's something about sitting with brothers and sisters in Christ and eating. There's something about sharing communion with those same brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that's something we should not only be doing as a gathered fellowship here as a church, but even outside in our groups, the small groups that meet. We should be doing communion there. We should be celebrating the presence of Christ in our lives and what He's done to change us by doing the thing He told us to remember Him by. Right? He said, do this and remember it to me. Because when you eat the communion bread, when you take the wine, the juice, whatever you use, you're, you're proclaiming my death and my resurrection, and then you're also proclaiming that I'm going to come again. There's something about sharing communion together. I don't know if anybody went back there and, and took communion today. I know it's a little odd. It'll be back there. You can go during the music. If you forgot and you're like, oh, man, I wanted to do that, we're going to sing again in a few minutes. You can do it. You can go right now during the message if you want to. I won't even look. Billy's like, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going right now. I know it's a little weird putting it back. We're going to do it as a congregation also. But there's something about it. There must be a reason he said to do it. So we do this more regularly. We do it in our groups. You ever had communion with your family? Anybody ever done that at home with your family? Couple? No? Well, you can do it with your family. Why not? Have communion with your family. Do this in your homes. Do this in the groups. Bill, are you going to do this in your group? Okay, there it is. You heard it. If you come to the Wednesday group, you guys are going to do communion sometime. All right. Prayer. Again, as we talked about this morning, when you pray, think about who you're addressing. I don't know if it was something I read or something I heard or somebody else told it to me this week or it might, it might have been something Billy and I were talking about. But I read, heard, or saw somewhere. Uh, I think it was a book that I'm reading, and the guy said, before you pray, take a minute to think about what you're going to say because you're going before the God Almighty. And I think sometimes we just jump in. We just spit stuff out because it's like, oh, I'm nervous, I've got to say something. Think who we're addressing. Take a minute to gather your words. Learn to use new language. That's rough, right? Because we're stuck using those rote things that we say. I'm not going to repeat any of them right now. You know what they are. Because when you pray, you use them too. It's a struggle for me. Okay, I've got to really think about what I'm going to say. Because if I just use the same old rote hooks and phrases that I always use, then I'm, is that even really a prayer? Is that really a communication? I don't talk that way to Lydia. <laughs> Wouldn't that be ridiculous if we talk to our spouse or our children like we talk to God sometimes? I mean, it would sound funny. God just wants to have a conversation with you. He just wants to know you. He just wants to have an interaction with you. So we commit to more fervent prayer. We pray before we act. We pray with and from our heart. 
what would it look like if we really prayed together? I know it was a little weird this morning where we talked and we gathered and some people prayed, some people read, Daniel shared. And you were thinking, is this going to be every week like this? I don't, I don't know. Somebody even asked me that. It's <laughs> like, I don't know. I really don't. Maybe we start a bunch of small groups. And that's one of the things we're planning on doing this summer. Billy and I are both going to start a small group. Maybe somebody else in here will also want to start a, maybe a couple of us will want to start small groups. And we begin to gather in small groups. And in those small groups, instead of getting a curriculum, there's nothing wrong with that. We're doing a marriage curriculum. Billy's doing a curriculum on grace. You can buy books and you can do stuff like that. But maybe in this small group, we just meet and we devote ourselves to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. And we function in those small groups as churches, literally small groups churches and then those small churches meet whenever they meet wherever they meet once a week twice a week who knows uh, i'm not going to say and then we gather together so so don't worry i'm not saying we got to we got to tear all this down but maybe we do <laughs> i don't know maybe at some point we do got to tear it all down everybody's like did he just say that <laughs> But these groups, they meet, and they become the church in the places where you live, and they begin to minister in those places, and they invite the neighbors into the fellowship. You know, so we start a group in our house, and we invite a couple families from church, but I also invite people on my street to come. Billy does the same. Maybe, I'm not naming any names because I want you guys to do it. Maybe Jordan and Zoila do one in their neighborhood because they don't live in Elmwood Park. Um, maybe Dick and Lorraine do it in their neighborhood because they don't live in Elmwood Park. And people who live in Elmwood Park and people who don't start little groups and they have three or four families from church meeting, they meet as a church and they invite people in. And they begin to see growth that way. And we do these four things together. Uh, another thing that the same, we're, we're doing this marriage couples thing. Another thing that was funny, the lady who was teaching it said, her husband's a pastor and she said, when we would have an opportunity to go to church for a prayer meeting. She said, just said, silently inside, I would think, oh, how boring, I don't want to go. You ever thought that? I mean, we want to go to worship on Sunday because well, someone's going to speak and teach and we're going to have some music and I hope it's good. And we did all right today, you know, next Sunday, we'll see. It's week by week. But we go because we think there's these things there that we need. We need, we need to sing, and we want to be together, and we, we have a little breakfast together, and we do some stuff. We have something for the kids. But when we do, if, if we took all that away, and next Sunday, I said, when you come next Sunday, all we're going to do is study God's word. You notice it doesn't even say anything about singing there, interestingly enough. All we're going to do next Sunday is read and study God's Word, break bread together, fellowship together, and pray. Would everybody come back? Would the world that the church has been holding out this image of church to and saying, hey, this is church, but now we're going to do bait and switch, and really church looks like this, would the world go, I don't know about that. 
primarily because maybe we would feel the same way. We'd be like, I don't know if I, I don't know if that would be enough. Anybody have that feeling? Am, am I just talking to myself here? Anybody have that feeling? If we just did the bare minimum next Sunday, some people would be like, mm, I don't know, that's not really enough for me. I'm going to go find a church that's got some really good music. Get my, pump, my blood pumping. <laughs> the early church was busy living a simple lifestyle and living out church in these four areas. Aside from all that, a couple more things. We're going to finish. We, I see the biggest confirmation in the American church today that it pales to comparison with the church that we see in Acts is contained in the very last sentence. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you ever read that and you're like, what is, what is wrong? I mean, when I read it, that's what I, just comes to my mind. That's what I say. What is wrong? I have never been in a church like that. Has anybody ever been in a church where daily people were being saved? Weekly people were being baptized. Maybe some of you have seen a church where there's somebody who's getting baptized. I've never been in a church like that. But the blueprint of the church in Acts lives itself out in such a way that people were coming to faith in Christ daily and they didn't have programs and they didn't have breakfast and music and pews and buildings and paid staff and all the stuff that we have they didn't have any of that the lord added daily to the number that was being saved and when i look at that maybe this is part of why the church doesn't have that it's like well how we we think to ourselves what would we do how would we control that how would we maintain doctrinal, doctrinal integrity with explosive multiplication? That might be a good question, but it might be the wrong question. Because you know what that shows about us and about our thinking? It shows that we don't trust the Holy Spirit. If we don't trust the Holy Spirit to multiply His church and to take care of doctrinal integrity because we feel like we have to monitor it, I think that stifles the growth of the church. So maybe part of the problem is we don't trust the Holy Spirit to do what He said He would do. But what if we prayed, spent time together, became students of the Word, and shared communion and meals together, and we loved everyone, and we took the message of the gospel from here to the community? Do you realize, and this just came to me today, uh, and sometimes, I hope the Lord speaks to you too, but sometimes He speaks to me. I don't hear words, but I just like, when, when I, this thing came to my mind, I was like, okay, Lord, I know that's you. He said, Elmwood Park Community Church is the shepherd for Elmwood Park. Did you know that we've been called to shepherd Elmwood Park? You know what Jesus did when He looked out over the masses? When he, 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 before He fed him, He looked at him and He said, he said that he had compassion for them because they were lost, they were struggling, they were hard put to find their way in life because they had no shepherd, they had no leader, they had nobody to, to follow, they had no one showing them the way to find God. And I feel like the Lord said today, <laughs> Elmwood Park Community Church, you're called the shepherd, Elmwood Park. That's a big job. How many of us are in this room? Jordan, how many of us are in this room? Oh, he didn't count yet. 
Oh, he counts for me every Sunday, in case you didn't know. He'll tell us in a minute. Thanks, Jordan. Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> oh, the Lord wants to use this number of people to shepherd Elmwood Park. You know what that's going to mean eventually is it's not just me leading a group and Billy leading a group and maybe one or two others, but don't get scared. Every one of you leading groups. You remember Hebrews? I read a little while ago, Hebrews 5. You should be teachers by now. It's going to mean us doing something that's uncomfortable. It's going to be weird. It's going to be like, hey, inviting people we don't know into our house. Hey, come, come to our house. Come hear about the Jesus that I know. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be unusual. I think it's the thing he wants us to do. What would happen if we decided to forget about what makes us comfortable here? I mean, we're worried about air conditioning, and there's some leaks in the basement, and, 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 and there's some things in this building that need to be fixed. <laughs> I don't think anybody could argue with that. But is that the most important thing? Is that the most important thing that we can do? Because when I read Acts and I compare it to the church, again, I'm, I'm disillusioned sometimes. And I think that's because we're missing one word. It was at the very beginning of Acts 2, verse 42, and it says, and they devoted themselves. And so I started thinking about that word devoted because I don't think any of us disagree that paying attention to the teaching of the disciples and the apostles, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers are bad things. I don't think any of us think those are bad things. Anybody, you think those are bad things? I think we should be doing those things. We all agree. The problem is I'm not sure we're devoted to them. So I looked up some definitions for devoted. They're not going to be on the screen, but one of them says a love for something or someone that results in action. Another one says strict and continuing faithfulness to an obligation, trust, or duty. So we say a lot of things about God's Word and about what we'll do and what we believe in, but are we really devoted to them? Devoted in such a way that we act on them. We sing we pray about them, we read about them, we Facebook post about them, we send emails about them, right? We do all these things. But when the rubber meets the road, are we actually doing them? Because a true devotion to the things God said to do requires us to actually do them. I think that's what God's calling us to do. He's like, um, we've got to do this, guys. It's time for us to start doing it. So we're starting these two groups this summer. I hope a couple of others will come forward and say, hey, we want to start a group in our house too. And it's not going to be complicated. We've made it too hard. We've made it too difficult when people who have been in the church for one year or five years or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years say, I can lead a group. We've made it too difficult as, as a church if that's the case. A new believer ought to be able to lead another person who's not a believer to Christ. Somebody who's been in their faith for a year or two years or five years, they ought to be able to lead a small group. We're just reading Scripture, praying, sharing fellowship, and doing the things that God said to do. These, these four things played out, teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. We just spend time doing these four things and then see what happens. Scripture, again, it says they devoted themselves, apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. I think that's what he's calling us to do. 
turn around, <laughs> do the things I've called you to do. And what could happen as we did that? I don't, I don't know. I'm excited to find out. I would like to try it. Well, wouldn't you like to do what the Bible says? I mean, this is our, this is our chance. Put a stake in the ground and say, okay, today, as a church, as a family, we're going to agree that we're going to go in an unusual, it shouldn't be unusual, direction. Like the guys that found the book of the law in the temple, well, like, well, how did that get there? We hadn't been reading it for years, but apparently we're supposed to be doing all this stuff. We should start doing it. I feel a little bit like that is the same for the American church. We need to pick up the Bible, look at it, and do what it says. So I'm excited about it. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm like, summer, do we, have to wait? do we have to wait for summer? Of course, we have, this, we have our marriage small group we've got to finish. Billy's going to do his. I, I will wait for the summer, but maybe that will give us time to get two or three more groups together. Wouldn't it be awesome if everybody in church were in a group? We could even call them, you want a scary term for it? We could even call them house churches. Ooh, yeah. And then as those house churches grew and multiply, then we could pastor, we could shepherd Elmwood Park. I don't know about you guys. Um, Lydia reads, do you get, anybody do Facebook uh, Elmwood Park 411 and those? Oh, my gosh. <sighs> so negative. I would love to, in a year or two years or three years, be able to go on Elmwood Park 411 and somebody write something and everything that's written under there be like all positive and loving. Do you think something like that could happen? I mean, I can hardly read it. You know, somebody asks for a recommendation for something, somebody else puts an answer and then like by the time you get like two more down, they're like all calling names. It's like, hey, let's have a fight. I just wanted to know how, a good plumber. You know, now these two guys are like, hey, let's meet in the parking lot out behind Old Gambino's and we'll roll up our sleeves and have a fight. It's like, we're the answer to that. When I read Elmwood Park 411, my heart hurts because I know that we have failed. The people of God should be the answer to the negativity in this community and in the world because God brings hope. I know we went a touch long. We started a little late because it was Easter. I mean, not Easter, spring forward. <laughs> well, see, I'm really messed up. I told Lydia we'd go short today. She didn't believe me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Right. 
Yeah. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you. So let's double down on that. Let's not only be friendly here while we're here on Sunday, but let's be friendly in our homes and start some house churches. Ooh, that's scary. <laughs> and see where it goes, because I think God has great things planned. Let's pray. Um, First Union's going to come and sing a song to close while they're singing, while they're playing. Another opportunity to share communion. Opportunity to sit and pray. Um, I know we went a touch over. When you get done today, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody you don't know. Go talk to somebody else in the room and share your name. Find out where they live. Invite them to your house church. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that as we study this again this week and think about it, that you will bring conviction into our hearts and our lives. Uh, Lord, that you will... You'll help us to do the things you want us to do. Lord, as we read Scripture and we struggle to see how what we're doing now fits with that, that might be an indication that we're not doing it right. So if we keep doing the same things and getting the same answer, but it's not the answer we should have, then we need to do something different. So, Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen us for this journey. Lord, that we'll look to you, we'll listen to you, we'll be guided by you, directed by you in all things. Lord, we love you. Um, may our love for you be borne out in devotion and the kind of devotion, Lord, that leads to action. Not for ourselves, not for our own glory, not for our own purposes, but Lord, for you. That Elmwood Park will have an opportunity to hear the gospel. Lord, I pray that that, that will become uh, a possibility, Lord, that, that we might even as a church dare to pray that you will help us to make sure every person in Elmwood Park has heard the gospel. That would be, I think when we look at it, tremendous, but just a drop in the bucket. So Lord, I pray that you'll Strengthen us for this journey uh, and empower us for this journey. Lord, we love you. We want to honor you with our lives and with all that we do. So I pray you'll change us in the ways we need to change that we might honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with us as you can as we close with today's uh, closing song.